Last Sunday, I was driving home from church when I got an alert on my phone. And that alert on my phone was that uh, Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter crash. For those who may not be basketball fans, for those who may not follow sports in general, Kobe was one of the greatest basketball players to ever play. He, at the age of 18, he was drafted out of high school, and he spent 20 years playing for the Los Angeles Lakers, what we call Showtime. Kobe, at the end of that 20 years, retired from basketball, and he devoted almost his entire energy to raising his four beautiful daughters, along with his wife, Vanessa. Kobe, though, what a lot of folks may not know, was also an aspiring author and film producer. In fact, this past year, he won an Academy Award for a film, a short film that he produced. Kobe was known by many throughout the world, this is his nickname, the Black Mamba, for his killer instincts and his determination on and off the basketball court. Last Sunday, he got up in the morning with his daughter Gianna. They went to church. They attended a Catholic church near his home. They went to Mass. And then they got on a helicopter with seven other people. And shortly after that takeoff, as they were flying to Kobe's Academy, where his daughter Gianna had a basketball game that afternoon, that helicopter crashed into a side of a hill, killing nine people, including the coach, his daughter, his wife, Kobe, his daughter, and several others. And I remember sitting there, I was actually in the park of uh, Moe's. Becky asked me to run to Moe's and get something for lunch on the way home. And I remember just sitting there looking, and I was in stunned. I was just stunned that somebody like Kobe Bryant was gone from this world. And all week long, because I'm kind of a sports fanatic at times, um, all week long at night I've been watching different specials on ESPN, YouTube, different clips, different things. I watched this tribute that Shaq gave to Kobe, who was his, his partner, and I, it brought me to tears. I've been in tears a lot this week just watching these tributes. But it was less because of basketball, but because of a guy who loved his daughters. And I can relate to that. The love of your children, the love of your family, the love of a wife. And I was moved by Kobe's devotion in his post-basketball career to these things. And one of the things that Kobe lived with was this mentality. If you've ever heard of it, it's called this Mamba mentality. And the Mamba mentality says this, right? It is this core conviction that I am going to focus my life on the things that matter the most. And I will not allow things to distract me from what God has called me to do. That in order for me to achieve God's plan and purpose for my life, I have to focus on what matters the most. And so for the past couple of weeks, you know, We've been digging into this really deep. And I, I'm, I want to tell you, I'm proud of you guys as a church. Because the things that we're digging into are not easy. They don't come easy. And it takes some work to dig into some of this stuff. It takes some work to dig into past hurts and go, you know what? I'm going to allow the forgiveness of God to, to lead me forward. It takes some work to dig into those bad decisions that maybe you've made in your life and go, God, through confession, absolution, and repentance, I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to ask you, and I'm just going to encourage you to keep digging with me because this is a very personal series for me. It's taken a lot of time to get to this place in life. It's probably why I'm doing it now and not when I was you know, 27. But I want to invite you to dig with me a little bit more today. 
Because what we're going to do this morning is we're going to dig into what it means to have a fresh start from things that hold you back in life. So that you can embrace that mamba mentality and focus on what matters in this world and not the things that distract. All right? So that's what we're going to do this morning as we look at these things together. And what I want to talk about today is just simply, what are the things that hold you back in life? Because we all have them, right? If you don't know what they are, hopefully by the end of this message you will. But I want you to look at things that hold you back in life from being able to fully experience and live, right, this abundant life in Jesus. So if you would, take out your notes if you don't have them with you. Go and take them out. And what I want you to do in that first blank there is just, God wants you to live and experience the abundant life in Jesus, okay? God wants you to live and experience the abundant life in Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 10 for just a moment. And we're going to, I'm going to show you how this is true, okay? Let's begin by digging into the Gospel of John. Go to John chapter 10, and you're going to go to verse 10. It's on your notes for if you want to follow along. But if you were to read John chapter 10, Jesus compares us to sheep. He says, every one of us in this room are like a sheep. Now, sheep, if you know anything about sheep, sheep are a little dumb. Sheep are a little stubborn. Sheep easily get lost. Sheep need a leader. And that leader is Jesus. And he is, calls himself not just a shepherd, but a what? Say it with me, church. Good shepherd, which is where we get the name of our church. It's where this image from the stained glass window comes from. We have this good shepherd who not only will lead his sheep, right? He even says, I want my sheep to hear my voice and know my voice and, 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 and drown out all the competing voices in life. He says, as a good shepherd... I will lay down my life for the sheep. Now go to John chapter 10, verse 10. And let's look at a very familiar verse. It's so familiar that what I want to do this morning is I want us to read it together, okay? Let's just read this verse together, all right? And so on the count of three, we're going to read it together. Ready? One, two, three. The thief, which is Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, came that they, his sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. I put those little, you know, the things in parentheses there so you can just see who Jesus is talking about there. That's kind of my notes there. But the thief who is Satan comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes that you and I, who are his sheep, may have life. And not just any kind of life. Circle that word. He wants you to have what kind of life, church? Say it with me. An abundant life. What kind of life does God want you to have? An abundant life. Does he want you to have a weak life, a timid life, an unfulfilling life? No. He wants you to have what? An abundant life. He wants you to experience today the abundant life that is in Christ. God's desire has been and always will be for you and I to live and experience the abundant life in Jesus. So what does that look like? What does an abundant life in Jesus actually look like, right? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. The abundant life is for all who are baptized in Christ to know that my identity and my purpose is to live as a baptized child of God. The abundant life is one where we're free from the power of sin, death, and the devil by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The abundant life is one where I get to live every day as salt and life on the earth in this dark place. 
The abundant life is one where my life is filled with joy and peace, hope and love. The abundant life is one where I get to live knowing that I'm saved by God's grace. I get to live each day by God's grace. I get to stand firm each day in God's grace. The abundant life says that I look forward to the day of Jesus and I do not have to be afraid. The abundant life is one where I recognize my spiritual giftedness for the building up of the body of Christ in a life that's lived in service to my neighbor. That's the abundant life. And here's the beautiful thing. That's only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. And so as we look at this abundant life, I want you to notice something, right? Satan. Look at how Satan is described in the verse. What is Satan called in John chapter 10, verse 10? He's given this name. What is the name? Say it with me, church. Thief. What is he? A thief. And what do thieves do? They steal. They rob. They take. They violate. You know, it's, have you ever seen one of those little scenes where people have had packages delivered on Amazon.com and somebody drives up? It ain't their home. It's not their packages. They didn't pay for it. It didn't come as a gift at Christmas. And they walk up to the porch and what do they do? They take all the boxes, right? All the boxes. And they leave. That's what a thief does. A thief robs you of what God has given you. Let me say that again. Ready? A thief robs you of what God has given to you. That's what Satan is. He's going to rob you of what God has given you. Okay? And so you see that, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy this life that God wants to give to you. And one of the ways you do it, it's a very subtle way. This is going to be a subtle sermon, okay? This is a very subtle way that God, that Satan likes to work. See, he likes to work some ways that are very just in your face, like addiction and pornography and all these things that just wreck and destroy you, right? This is subtle. One of the subtle ways that God wants to wreck no, sorry. One of the, wrong person. One of the subtle ways that Satan likes to wreck our lives is by holding us back, keeping us pinned down so that we can't move forward in life. He wants us to fixate on earthly things rather than heavenly things. Go to Colossians chapter 3 for just a moment. It's on your notes. Let's look at it together. Watch this. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you've gone through the waters of baptism and you are raised in faith in Jesus, right? What does he say? Seek the things that are where? Church above. Where Christ is. Where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, right? Not on things where? On the earth. For you have died and now your life is hidden. It's wrapped. It's enveloped in Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Get your mind focused on Jesus and not on the earthly. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and everything else will follow into place. Set your mind on Jesus. Now let me give you an illustration that I hope will make sense. All right? Let me ask you a question. And be honest this morning. How many of you have ever gotten your car booted before? How many of you have ever gotten a boot on your car? 
Okay, if you don't know what a boot is, the picture is right there on the, on the thing. Okay, how many, raise your hand again if you got your car booted. All right, one more than the early service, okay. You guys are all really good drivers, okay. All right, all right. How many of you ever got your car towed because you parked in the right, wrong spot? Okay, well, one more. Good night. Okay, oh, damn. Oh, yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Davy Crockett got his car towed. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> that's... Did you really? That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. This is up there. This is up. That's awesome. All right. So if you've ever gotten your car towed, if you've ever gotten a parking ticket, if you've ever gotten booted, right, you know what happens. When your car gets booted, right, here's the thing. You can't go anywhere. You can't get to where you need to go. Let's say you're in your apartment, you walk down to the street, you see your car because you parked overnight, you weren't supposed to park overnight, the tow truck company came, they booted you. They put the boot on your car. Now you can't get to work. You can't take your kid to school. You can't run to the doctors. You can't go to the Waffle House. You can't get to where you want to go. Now you're fixated on what? Getting the boot off your car. Let me suggest to you, some of you got boots on this morning. Some of you are weighted down by a boot and you're stuck because of things that are holding you back. Some of you, unfortunately, you got multiple boots on. You got all four wheels. You are in bad shape, okay? Satan, what he loves to do, is actively work to steal, kill, and destroy you so that your focus and your attention is not on what God wants for your life, but now your focus is on the boot. And it's keeping you from going where God wants to take you so that you can experience this new life in Christ. So I'm going to ask you a simple question this morning. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Now I know some people will tell me this. That fear and distraction are things that hold you back. And I want to say, great answer. That's a great answer. It's such a good answer that that's next week's sermon. So come back next week if those are things that will hold you back, all right? Because that's what I'm going to talk about next week, all right? Now, for some of you, you may say this. Pastor Dave, my ship has already sailed. All right, there is no going forward. I've missed my opportunity to move forward. I've been stuck here so long and booted for so long, there ain't nothing that's going to move me forward. Well, I just want to encourage you this morning to think a little different. First of all, unless you are dead, God still has a plan for your life. Unless you're in the grave and you're no longer breathing, God still wants to use you. Unless you are on your way out the door, which if you were here, thank God you are here, so you're not actually on your way out the door, okay? What I want you to know is this. God still has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. Don't let anything hold you back. Second, maybe God wants to use you and your experiences in life to help somebody else. And third, if God can raise the dead, he can get your ship going again. Change the way you think today. Now, some of you might be thinking this. I don't really know if something's holding me back. I don't really know if I'm not moving forward. I don't really know what's going on. I'm not actually quite sure. So if that's you... Then let me give you three things that people often struggle with when it comes to moving forward. All right, here we go. Number one, these are in your notes. The world 
of expectations. The world of expectations. See, when people have expectations of you that are either unfair, unrealistic, then what can happen to us is that sometimes they can keep us from moving forward in life. Sometimes your parents can have unfair expectations of you when you're a teen or a child. Sometimes your spouse can have unfair expectations of you. Sometimes your, your employer can have unfair expectations of you. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your parent drilled into your head your whole life that you will never amount to anything. That was their expectation. Or maybe their expectation was no matter how many times you, you thought differently, your, your parents drilled this expectation into you that you are not good enough and that nothing you do is ever good enough. Well, guess what happens when you start to believe that? Guess what happens when you start believing that lie? And that lie comes from Satan. When you start to believe those expectations, then your life will always be in reverse rather than moving forward. The same is true when you have unrealistic expectations of yourself. For example, I can't tell you how many people have come in for marriage counseling before they got married. And one of the tests we always do is to see how realistic your expectations are going into marriage. And I can say with pretty good, you know, affirmity, you know, affirmation, right? Most people fail that part, right? Because most people enter marriage with unrealistic expectations of what married life will actually be like. And they think when they get married that it will be a certain way. And then what happens when it's not? What happens when your expectations aren't met? What happens when things don't work out the way you thought they would? What are you going to do then? Will it hold you back or will you move forward? So that same, same is true for parenting, right? You, you know, think about this for those of you who are parents, right? When your first child came, you probably had a lot of expectations of what it would like to be a parent, right? Then you got peed on. <laughs> you know? Then you got pooped on for the very first time and those expectations started to go out the window. You had a few nights where your kid didn't sleep. Your expectations went outside the window, right? That's what happens to us, right? All it takes is a little life to disrupt our expectations. And the question is this. When our expectations get rocked, when we realize that maybe we have unrealistic expectations, what do we do then? Do we focus our attention on God who created us? Do we focus our attention heavenly word and let God define his expectations? Do we allow God to set the agenda? Or do we fall into Satan's trap and get consumed with disappointment and earthly cares and concerns to the point that instead of moving forward, we're either booted and stuck? What do we do? You know, this happened to Timothy. Timothy was a student of Paul. And as Paul was training Timothy how to be a pastor, he sent him to a local church. And like anybody, like a lot of people, right? Timothy was a young guy, fresh out of seminary. And some of the people who were older in the church kind of looked down at Timothy. Their, their expectations were not very high of Timothy. They expected things of him that probably were unfair, right? And watch what Paul says about listening to the expectations of people. Here's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. What does that mean? 
Don't listen to the expectations of others that are unrealistic or unfair. Don't let those things define you. But instead, set the believers an example, right? Listen to God and who He has made you to be, right? As an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's number one. Don't let the world of expectations hold you back. Number two, your schedule or rhythm in life. Your schedule or rhythm of life. Here's the thing that sometimes Satan likes to do. He likes to distort your schedule and rhythm of life in such a way that you don't even realize you have lost sight of what matters. That you, have even, you, you don't even realize that you are losing sight of what matters. Sometimes, and, and I've seen this in my own self, in my own life, sometimes we organize life in such a rhythm, right, that we lose sight of what matters. And now, instead of being able to live the life that God wants me to live, I'm living somebody else's life. Somebody else's dream, somebody else's focus, somebody else's attention, right? Watch this. See, Satan, he likes to steal, kill, and destroy the abundant life we have in Christ. And here's how it can show up in your schedule. It can show up in one of three ways. You want to write these down, you can. Number one, here's the first way it can show up. When you are overcommitted. When you are overcommitted. When your schedule is too packed and too full that you can no longer respond to what God's desire for you is because you've just committed to too many things. When your schedule is overcommitted, then you will never experience true joy in Christ. You'll never experience it. Why? <laughs> because you'll never be able to rest. Some of you right now are so overcommitted, you don't even know what rest looks like. You haven't rested for years. And when you don't find your rest in Jesus, and when you don't find your rest, you're either going to burn out, wash out, or what will happen is everything around you will destruct. It just will happen. And then you don't get to experience this abundant life. Number two, sometimes our schedule is like this. We are reactive versus proactive. It means that somebody else is always setting my agenda and schedule. My work is setting my schedule. My school is setting my schedule. My, my, don't get me wrong. My church is setting my schedule. Everybody but me is setting my schedule, right? And there's no conversation with God about what the schedule should look like. There's no conversation with God about what his priorities, his plan, his purpose for my life, the way it should look like so that now I can organize the schedule. And I'm always reacting to somebody else. Somebody calls, I'm there. Somebody whistles, I'm there. Somebody says, be there, I'm there, right? And I'm not saying no. And I'm not saying, wait a minute, does God even want me to go? I'm not, I'm, I'm reactive rather than proactive. I'm not allowing God to set the agenda. And here's the third thing, right? So, so ultimately what can also happen is I just get lazy and apathetic. I just get lazy and apathetic, right? <laughs> Either I've, I've worked too much, so now I'm just not going to do any of it, right? I'm tired of responding to people, right? But rather than being proactive and set the agenda, I just won't do anything whatsoever. 
And this is how Satan wrecks our lives. He wrecks our marriages. He wrecks our relationship with our kids. He, he, he just manipulates the schedule. Now watch this. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. Look, look at this very clearly. Look carefully then how you walk. I want you to do me a favor. Circle that word walk, okay? And I want you to substitute this phrase because it's the exact same thing. Plan your day. Be very careful on how you say it with me, church. Plan your day. Be very careful on how you plan your day. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the what? Best use of time. You know, Sunday, when I got this message that Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter crash, I was reminded once again, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Next week is not guaranteed. Next month is not guaranteed. I'm not guaranteed as a dad, as a husband, any more time with my family. I'm not guaranteed 19 more years in ministry. None of that is guaranteed. And I tell you what, as I walked away from that, I said to myself, so let's make the best of today. Let's make the best of every day. Whether it's hanging with my kids, whether it's being with my wife, or whether it's working here and serving the Lord and sharing the gospel, make the best use of the time that God has given to you so that you live with that mamba mentality of no regrets and focused on what matters the most. Let me tell you something. If you don't understand this, I hope you do. There's only a few things in life that really matter. There are only a few things in life that really matter. If you're married, then your marriage is one of the few things that really matters. If you have kids or grandkids, that's one of the few things that really matters, right? If, 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 you, if you have a relationship with the Lord, that's the thing that really matters, right? Everything else is secondary in life. But these things, faith and family and friendships, those three things, those matter more than anything else. Jobs will come and go. Money will come and go. Possessions will come and go. All these other things will come and go. But these things matter. And your focus on those things matters more than anything else. Your schedule, your rhythm for life. Number three, not embracing your gifts and passions. Not embracing your gifts and passions. I want to tell you a story, right? I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're at home, and you get a knock on the door, and you're like, whoa, who's that? You get a knock on the door, and Publishers Clearinghouse is at your door. And so Pastor Ed is there, right? He goes and opens the door, and there is Publishers Clearinghouse, and they have a check for $1 million. <clears throat> and Pastor Ed's like, what? Woohoo! yeah. <clears throat> and they tell you this, we're going to give you a $1 million. And here's the, here's the catch. You just have to use it to be a blessing to others. Use it to serve other people. Use it to help other people. <clears throat> Use a difference to make in your community. Use it to be a blessing to those who are in need. Support your favorite charity. Whatever you like to do. Just, just be a blessing to others. And so you look at that check and you think to yourself, wow, what a difference it can make in my life. What a difference it can make in other people's lives. You're excited about it, right? Then you look at it one more time. And you realize, wow, that's gonna, that's, that, that may mean a lot of work. And you look at it, and you look at it one more time, 
And then here's what you say. No, thank you. And you close the door and you go sit back down so you can binge watch Disney+. Plus. Let me tell you, too often, that's exactly what we do. But instead of a check for a million dollars, it's our giftedness from God. Instead of closing the door on a check, we close the door on the gifts of God. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do when it comes to his gifts. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit of God gives them, right? So every person in this room, if you are a believer in Christ, you are spiritually gifted by God, right? There are different kinds of service. That means as the people of God, we all serve Him in different ways, but we only have one Lord. There's different kinds of working. How I work for God and how you work for God may look completely different, but we are all in the same business of working for the Lord. Every one of them, we work for God. Now watch verse 7. Now to each one, I'm in each one, you're in each one, right? Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit. That means the inner working of the Spirit of God in your life to supernaturally gift you, right? In your own unique way for the given, for the common good. Here's what happens. Too often, we shut the door. On the Holy Spirit. We shut the door on the gifts of God. We shut the door on how God wants to work for us. And so when you shut the door, you cannot live in the fullness of life. You cannot experience the full life and measure of Jesus. God says when you ignore His gifts, right? You're ignoring the Holy Spirit and then you can't celebrate for the common good. You can't love your neighbor. How do I know this? Well, 20 years ago, that's a little bit longer than that, about 22 years ago, I was working, <laughs> I was working at a place called Camp Lone Star. I've mentioned this before. I was working at this camp, and one night, it was my assignment to lead devotion and preach. And I was standing there, and I was preaching for probably 120 teenagers. And it was the first time in my life. Now, I had preached before, right? I had written some messages before. But it was the first time in my life that I can remember, right? The Holy Spirit took over. And when the Holy Spirit took over, the direction of the message went different. The impact of the message was different. The working of God in that place was different. And I was scared. I'm like, what just happened? And I had a friend come up to me, and she said, Dave, that was amazing. I said, what was amazing? To see the Holy Spirit empower you with the gift of preaching on your life. And it was that moment that I knew that God had placed a gifting on my life to preach and teach. And that I would never be satisfied in life. I would never find joy in life that I would never be living in the abundance of Jesus unless my life had some component of preaching and teaching. The same is true for you. Whatever your giftedness is,
If you want to experience the abundant life in Christ, it is always marked by by recognizing your giftedness and using it in life no matter what direction it is. And so let me ask you this just simple question. Yes or no? How many of you know what your giftedness is and you are using it every day to live the abundant life of Christ? How many of you know if you know what your giftedness is and you're living the abundant life in Christ? See, if you don't know what your giftedness is and you don't know how to use it in your everyday life, not just like on a Sunday morning preaching, right? But I'm talking about every part of your life. If you don't know how to use that giftedness, then guess what? You are missing the opportunity to be fully engaged in this life with Jesus. And that's what's holding you back. That's what's holding you back today. So what's your boot? Where are you marked? What's holding you back in life? Where do you need to confess to God that your mind, your time, your energy has been focused on the wrong things and not the heavenly things? Let me ask you, where do you need a fresh start today? Please, don't don't leave here without at least identifying, this is where I need a fresh start. So here's the thing about the boot, you know. Unless you do something illegal, or unless you damage your car, you're not getting the boot off on your own. Amen? Right? Somebody has to come pay the fine, and somebody has to take the boot off for you. And for us as Christians, that's only found in one place for our lives. When we recognize that there are things holding us back, when we recognize that our minds have been set on earthly things, when we see that Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy us and rob us of the one thing that God wants to give us, right? There's only one person who can take your boot off. There's only one person who pays the fine for it. You know, one of the things I love about Sunday is that there's this time in church. We call it our time of confession and absolution. It's a time where we talk to God and God talks to us. It's a time where we confess something about ourselves. It's the fresh start that every life has. It's the moments where we recognize the things that are our minds that are just wrong. It's where we acknowledge that maybe someone's expectations of us are holding us back. Where we maybe the expectations of ourselves are holding us back. It's when we acknowledge that the schedule of our lives is all out of whack. I'm either overcommitted, I'm letting somebody else set the agenda, or I'm just lazy and apathetic. It's where I recognize that maybe I haven't been using my gifts to glorify God and serve my neighbor. It's an act of confession. And there's some words printed out for you. It's words that we use in our liturgy. We just used them this morning. It's these beautiful words from 1 John chapter 1. Can we just read them together one more time? Because this is the gospel. This is what sets you free. Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is just. And not only will He forgive you, but He has forgiven you in the name of Jesus. God is the one 
who releases you from earthly things. God is the one who breaks the power of Satan to steal and kill and destroy your life. God frees you from the expectations of others. God sets the expectations of you being a child of God washed in the waters of baptism. God enables you to reorder your schedule, to reorder your life so that you are no longer on someone else's agenda, that your agenda is no longer overcommitted, so that you are no longer wasting away your days, but you are fully engaged with the time of God. God gives to you His Holy Spirit so that you can be spiritually equipped to love and serve your neighbor. And here's the good news. He takes the boot off. He gives you a fresh start. He lets tomorrow be a new day. It's time to start. For some of you, today is your fresh start day. And I just want to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, you are the only one right now that knows who needs a fresh start. You, you, you are the one who truly knows who needs a fresh start from expectations of others. Who needs a fresh start with their schedule? Who needs a fresh start with using their gifts? Who needs a fresh start from fears and failures? Who needs a fresh start from bad decisions? Who needs a fresh start from, from the moments where people have hurt us in the past and we're ready to move on beyond that? Lord, only you know. And you give us the courage to step into it. You give us the courage to make changes. You give us the courage to confess our sins and trust in you that it is your forgiveness won for us on the cross by Jesus. You're the one who pays the price of the boot. You're the one who takes the boot off. You're the one who gives us a new car along the way so that we can travel this life of abundance in you as a new creation in Christ. So I don't know exactly who needs a fresh start, but Holy Spirit, do your thing. In your name we pray. Amen.